Tom Pelissero tweeting out the Patriots are hiring Alex Van Pelt as their offensive coordinator, uh, a former NFL quarterback and longtime respected assistant. Van Pelt spent the last four years. I don't know if you guys have you heard about this, have you seen about this, have you heard about this, as the Browns' offensive coordinator. And now I'm going to assume you get that job. Let's just go ahead and say he's going to finally call play somewhere. So uh, Alex Van Pelt, the new offensive coordinator in New England, Good luck to that dude. I, I don't think that dude really deserved to be fired. I don't. I, I don't really. I don't really know what would have prompted a guy who was more of a quarterbacks coach this last year to get fired. But I digress. I'm not really team anything. I just he seemed like a good dude. You hate to see good people get fired. So uh, Alex Van Pelt, the new OC in New England, and obviously we've got that going on in the background. The Brown switching uh, coordinators, and I, you know I think. I also think we can kind of just get to the greater coaching change conversation. Uh, Dan Quinn was just hired in Washington. You had well, That was the final job. Jim Harbaugh was introduced to the LA media today and went full-on goofball. Like, I don't know if anybody saw this. One, and, and Spencer actually brought this to my attention. Apparently, he was just kissing the ass of the LA media. Like when he was like being introduced, you know, oh, hey, it's, you know, Bill Hergelson from the uh, LA Times, Bill, oh, a legend. We got a legend here. But my favorite quote to come out of Jim Harbaugh's introductory press conference is he was asked what the kind of relationship he would like between him and the new GM, I think it's Joe Hortiz, who's the, uh, the former Ravens front office guy. And uh, he said, he wants their relationship to be like Batman and Robin. What what am I supposed to make out of that? Like, I think Jim, okay, inevitably, Jim is good for the NFL because he is the antithesis of the young, sleek, boring offensive coordinator who becomes the head coach. Like, listen, I just like winning, so I'm not complaining about Kevin Stefanski, but there's a point every single year where we all are just like, God, will he say something? Jim Harbaugh can't stop himself from saying something. So as long as he wins, it's worth it, right? Because that's the whole thing. I'll tolerate every cliche in the book if Kevin Stefanski wins 11 games every year. And in LA, you're going to tolerate everything you possibly can at Jim Harbaugh being a weird goober as long as he gets to 11 wins or 12 wins or wins in the playoffs but I don't think there's any relationship in my life, I work or otherwise, that I've ever said, you know, I want my relationship with this other man to be like Batman and Robin. Kind of a, and also if you read into that, kind of a slight to the GM. Because you know Jim Harbaugh is not calling himself Robin. You know he's not putting himself in the sidecar with a little tight spandex. Nope, 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 nope. He thinks he's Batman. He is, by the way, he is Batman. But call it your GM, Robin. I don't know. Like, Deadpool and Wolverine. <laughs> like, Deadpool and Cable. Okay, those guys, same level. Batman and Robin, there's a very clear distinction about what you mean when you say you want someone to be Batman and someone to be Robin. All right, we want somebody to be cool, and then we want the other guy. That's what we want with Batman and Robin. And our And our next man, I've always said, He's more Batman than Robin, and he joins us now in the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, as he does every single Thursday at 520. The great Albert Breer. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. What's happening? 
So did you see Jim Harbaugh saying he wants him and the Chargers GM to be like Batman and Robin? I did not see that, but that's pretty good. I, uh, <laughs> that sounds like Jim. I think he also uh, made like a Shawshank Redemption uh, <laughs> reference, right? Like, uh, I, there were things in there that were very Harbaugh. I think we got all of them today. Uh, is Jim Harbaugh worth $16 million a year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I look, you know, I, I think the price tag of coaches, sometimes they're sticker shock, but if you really think about it, like what is $16 million equal like when it comes to a player? It's like what, you know, Derwin James makes or what um, a, right, a good right tackle, not even a great right tackle, a good right tackle makes, you know? And when you put it in that context and, you look at the, the history here and you, you know like exactly what you're getting with Jim, which I think is such a big part of it. Like you have an idea exactly what it's gonna look like. Forget about just the wins and losses. Like you have an idea like, okay, this is gonna look exactly this way. Um, yeah, you know, I just think the certainty that he brings you, or at least as close to you as you can get to certainty in the NFL, um, that he's gonna have like this Bill Parcells effect on your organization. I I I personally think he's he's worth every penny of that. Albert, I, I forgot to ask Keith this before the show. Are yeah. you in uh, Are you in Mobile, Alabama, for the Senior Bowl? Not anymore. I'm actually on the. I'm actually in a cab, uh, hustling to make it to my TV spot right now from the airport in Boston. But I was there the last three days. What's What was the buzz then in Mobile this week? Um, I mean, like, there's still so much coaching stuff going on. You know what I mean? Like, so you have the. Um, you know, like you have uh, the the Seattle job still open, the Washington job still open, and so you know like there were so many moving parts there. You know, um, with some of the stuff, and, it's, and it hasn't been that way to this degree in the past, just because of the rules. You know, um, the rules really changed things this year and made it so. You know, there was more. I would say there was there was, there was more um, waiting. Um, there was more. Uh, teams that were kind of going into this with an open mind. There were fewer, like I would say, there were fewer like slam dunks, you know. And so, um, you know, for the first time in a while, like a lot of these coaching searches had lasted right into to Senior Bowl week. And so, and then there are other, you know, new head coaches that are still filling out staffs. Um, so a lot of moving pieces on that end. And then, you know, as far as the players in the game, I think the quarterbacks always drive that, you know, and. Um, I, I don't think it was a great week for the quarterback group there, which may further separate the top guys. You know, the presumed top three, um, in some order, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, obviously none of those guys were there. And uh, I think if anything, like, you saw maybe those guys separate to another, you know, take another step forward and separate um, just based on the fact that um, no, none of the guys there this week, whether it's Penix, Knicks, whoever else, really did a ton to distinguish themselves. Albert Breer of the MMQB on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Albert, we, we've spent a fair amount this week talking about the decision to fire Alex Van Pelt by the Cleveland Browns and the decision to hire Ken Dorsey. There's a looming decision over play calling duties. And, yeah. and we got into the conversation of does it matter who made that final decision, whether it's Kevin Stefanski or uh, the front office or Paul D. Podesta. So I'll ask you, first off, does it really matter in your opinion who made that decision? And do you have any insight into who may, who might've been the final call on the change at OC and who ends up with play calling? Um, I think it does matter, um, you know, because it can set the table for things going forward. And, you know, like once the front office crosses that line, 
you know, it's really hard to undo that. Um, and yeah, I do think the front office had a lot of input in what happened here. And, um, you know, look, like I think there's pressure on Kevin and, and the coaches to get more out of Deshaun Watson. I think the concern here would be the role that, that Alex played in that staff and how in a lot of ways, like, because Kevin is not as outgoing that like Alex was kind of the glue guy on that staff, the guy who held everything together. And, um, you know, obviously I, I think there were a lot of, you know, I, I think the reaction from a lot of the, the guys on that staff to the way that certain guys were picked off after the year was kind of like, a, you know, what the, what, what, like, what do we do wrong? You know, cause you know, obviously they, they, they were able to, to win 11 games with, their fourth and fifth tackles with four different quarterbacks with no Nick Chubb, you know? And um, so I think that there was genuine surprise on the part of some people on the staff that so many coaches lost their jobs. And, you know, and that one guy in particular who was such an important piece of holding everything together was one of the guys on the way out. Has getting the most out of Deshaun this season, 2024, has that become as important or even more important than winning next year? Um, well, I mean, look, like if he gets hurt again and you win 13 games or he just plays okay and you win 13 games, um, you know, I, like I'd say it's still fine. You know what I mean? Like where, where it gets tricky is if you're good, not great, maybe you don't get to the level you were at last year and Deshaun's average. You know, I think that that's where it's like, okay, like so – who are we going to point the finger at? Well, now it's kind of hard to point the finger at the quarterback because you still have him under, um, you know, under a fully guaranteed contract for a couple more years. And that's where, you know, sort of decision-making can come in where you might say, okay, you know, now we got to do something else. We got to change something else to get him going. It's probably sort of reshuffled offensive coaches um, in an effort to do that. What's next? You know, that's the other part is like, uh, if the front office, the ownership, like is involved in, 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 in coaching staff changes, well then, you know, the next lever they pull is what the head coach, right? So, and then you know, I, I think the fallout from there is if this if this was not a fully this decision wasn't fully Kevin, well then isn't that going to make coaching candidates going forward leery about going to Cleveland because they know that, that could happen to them? I think it's sort of a slippery slope. So you know, there's a lot tied up tied up in and Ken Dorsey succeeding and Deshaun Watson succeeding in 2024. Albert, how was the Ken Dorsey hiring by the Browns as the OC received around the NFL? I mean, I think it's sort of like a – I really like Ken, but it's sort of run in the middle hiring, you know. I, I, don't, I don't think it's seen as something that's like a coup. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the things that to me was interesting was, okay, so if you want to get more out of Deshaun, do you – go get Tim Kelly, you know, who was with him in Houston, was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee last year. Do you go get, um, do you go get Bill O'Brien who wound up at Ohio state? I, like that, that was the, that was the interesting part about it is that they didn't go after somebody who had background with them. Um, but Ken seen is a good offensive coach, you know, he can run a little hot sometimes, but um, a good offensive coach who obviously has expertise in quarterbacks played the position um, and helped, you know, in Carolina get the most out of Cam Newton and, and Buffalo get the most out of uh, Josh Allen. I think they might want to invest in OtterBox cases for some of their uh, iPads there in Cleveland. That would just be my <laughs> yeah. thing that I would think of. Uh, Albert, 
Yeah, um, I didn't know if you guys would pull that, but that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, listen there. I've I've done that. Uh, not phones, um, but trust iPad. me, I was uh, trust me back in the day. I was the king of throwing PlayStation controllers <laughs> when I lost in NCAA. So I have a long history of those sorts of things that goes well beyond cell phones. So my dad was the sweetest man in the world, and the only thing that could 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 really get him mad was the uh, the golf game, the PGA Championship golf game on Super Nintendo. And this yeah. this man kept a Super Nintendo for well, I mean, I mean, till the mid two thousands, just for this game. And one day, the game like skitzed out in the middle of like a great shot. And my dad got yeah. it. My dad's a big guy too. And my dad grabbed the cartridge and just Hulk smashed it unintentionally. <laughs> and he just and my mom would not let that man forget it. That he the one time he lost his temper that I could remember, it was he smashed his favorite game in the world. And you know how much it cost? This is this is a this is a fifteen year old game when he had to replace. You know how much the, the cartridge cost to replace? Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks, Albert, of, yeah. of a of yeah. a Super Nintendo game. But yeah. I digress. No, I, I I can remember yeah, I mean I, I uh I would say um I like we had uh with my like my fraternity house at Ohio State we the uh, NCAA game like it, when you when you lost to somebody in that like there'd be times where you wouldn't talk to that person for another three <laughs> days and then we started playing Tiger Woods golf and we all like agreed that we'd make it a gentleman's game and so we had like a jacket that we passed around and we shook each other's hands after good shots and um, so we tried to keep the golf like above board but the uh, yeah the NCAA football got way out of control. College kids have no idea what's coming their way. Albert, uh, college uh, campuses or college programs dealing with something new. Jeff Halfley leaving uh, from Boston yeah. College as the head coach to be the D.C. in Green Bay. And one of the, the huge takes was, oh, no, the, the sky is falling. I'm just curious. Do you think that this trend of college coaches heading to the NFL as coordinators is here to stay? I think until things are out of control, under control, they are now i mean i i think it's just you know for some in some of these programs it's becoming impossible you know boston college one of them i you know obviously live up here and it's i mean like their nil situation like they, they can do okay you know like they can raise money okay but they can't compete with florida state and clemson in the acc you know and um you know so i, I think there there are more and more college programs where you know it's it's becoming tougher and, you know, then on top of that, you think about, like, how out of control recruiting is now and NIL and um, the transfer portal, you know, like what you have to do to keep your kids. The kid has a great year, and, like, he goes in the portal, and he's, you know, if you're at Boston College, maybe going to Texas A&M or Florida State or Ohio State or wherever, you know. Um, it's become, I mean, the lifestyle of the college coach is really affected by all of this, you know. Um you know, and, and so I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of guys who are at the college level who are frustrated that there's no guardrails on anything that like it's just the wild west and you know, they have to work around the clock and um, you know, like they don't have I mean there's no real time off. And you know, in, in the NFL you work a lot of hours, but when you're off, you're off, you know? And um, you know, so I think it's as much as anything else, like at least with the guys I've talked to like the move to the NFL now is more pursuit of a lifestyle based on everything that's happened in the college game. Albert Breer on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline almost called you Albert Bell. I have no idea why that would have happened. Albert, um, how many teams? Cause we got, there were reports that 
Philly and Dallas both view Bill Belichick as a fallback plan for next year. If if their situations don't work out, how many teams in the NFL do you think view Belichick as a fallback option for next year? I think it depends on um, on on how much Bill wants. And I say that because, and I don't mean money. I mean, like, control, structure, all of that different stuff. And that was sort of what the problems were for him this year, is that if, are you willing to bring in Bill as a executive, as a guy who maybe be the Bill Parcells in Miami? Yeah, you'd be willing to do that. Are you willing to bring in um, Bill Belichick as just the coach? Yeah, you'd be willing to do that. Are you willing to throw him the keys and basically – restructure everything in your organization, reset everything in your organization for Bill. That's where I think the rubber hit the road on on teams really kind of starting to question whether or not they wanted to make a run at him or even involve themselves in it at all. And, uh, you know, I think because of that, like, you know, I think because of that, like, it's sort of, it's a, I would say, I would say, I would say like a lot of teams are going to have to assess where they're at. and Bill's going to have to assess where he's at as far as, you know, what he wants to do and how much he needs um, to get back into coaching. And, um, you know, that stuff I think works itself out over time. Um, but certainly it was a factor in Atlanta. You know, I mean, I, Barger Blank wanted to hire Bill Belichick. You know, there were other people in the organization that knew what it would mean for them if, um, if Bill wound up there. And, you know, like that, I think sort of began a campaign against Bill in that building. And in the end, um, Arthur Blank makes a decision. I don't. I don't want to blow up my organization for 24 months or 36 months of Bill. And um, and sure enough, they wind they wind up with a really good option in Raheem. But that's why you know, the Bill thing didn't work out there. And I'd assume those conversations are ones that everybody would have when they're discussing whether or not they want to go after him. Albert, one final one here, bud. Uh, which non-Jim Harbaugh hire generated the biggest buzz in the uh, NFL circles this cycle? Um. Oh, it's funny. Maybe halfway. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. I mean, maybe you know what I, I I would say probably Raheem. Maybe I Mike McDonald's an interesting one because he rose like quickly, and Seattle Seattle was like very iffy on whether or not they were going to be open, and there was an easy answer there in Dan Quinn, and they decided to sort of reset and bringing a guy who's half Pete Carroll's age. So I'd say Carroll, but I'd say as far as the one that, like, most people are like, yeah, that's that that should work, it's probably Raheem Morris in Atlanta, you know, which is interesting because, again, like, I think, um, you know, on one hand, they both a chance to have the greatest coach of all time. On the other, I think they might wind up with the best hire out of the cycle. Albert, you're a gentleman in a, uh, in a gentlemanly sport there. We appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, guys. Really fascinating stuff about the the dynamics on how this move in Berea is being perceived. And uh, real quick here, kickoff with Boomer and Valenti covers all the news around the NFL and weigh in on the final two teams standing Friday night at 7 before overtime at Jonathan Peterlin. Listen on the free Odyssey app presented nationally by Casamigos Tequila. Casamigos brought to you by those who drink it and Lowe's, Lowe's Nose Home Improvement. Um... I, I've heard a lot of different opinions on the the process and a lot of different reports in fairness. Like uh, we, we played Mary Kay Cabot early in the show um, who said that, you know, that this was a collaboration, but the Ken, that Kevin had the final 
say. And, you know, Albert doesn't necessarily refute that Kevin had the final say there. But I think the perception of you matters. And the perception around the NFL, I mean, the NFL is just one. I mean, right now, they're in Mobile, Alabama. Everybody's in Mobile, Alabama. In a month, everybody's going to be in the combine. And it's a big water cooler. And even though a lot of us looked at the offense last year and said, well, that wasn't quite the offense we think Deshaun signed up for, the firings of Alex Van Pelt, Stump Mitchell, and T.C. McCartney did raise a lot of eyebrows around the NFL. And they raised a lot of eyebrows specifically as to whether Kevin made that decision himself or whether Kevin was coerced to make that decision, pressured to make that decision, told to make that decision. And by the way, those are three separate things. Suggesting something like, hey, we're not where we need to be. What do you think? Where are your, where's your comfort with the offensive staff is different than your – you need to do this or we're not going to extend your contract. And again, that's not, I'm not reporting that. I don't know that. But the point is, I, I think, you know, I made this point about the Browns uh, earlier in the, the hour here. I think when they constantly say collaboration, that's a cop-out. It is, because it means nothing. Well, you know, we have a collaborative approach. You know, uh, marriage is a collaboration. There are decisions I make, there are decisions Vanessa makes, and there are decisions we make. There are decisions that I make that I understand there's an implication that are influenced by what my wife wants and vice versa. So I can say to the cows come home, yeah, you know, the decision to, to pull one of my kids out of school, that was a, that was a collaboration. And in reality, it could have been her suggesting that, very strongly, it could have been a decision I made and called a collaboration. By the way, we didn't pull any of our kids out of school. They're doing well. The, the Wilson girls are doing just fine. So I understand that there's – here's the reason why it matters. The Browns aren't set up like most teams in the NFL. The Browns have a unique setup, and that setup involves people beyond Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. And we know – I'm not trying to bring up the Paul D. Podesta angle of this – I think it's pretty clear that that Jimmy Haslam is married to this 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 construct that he has created and to how Paul De Podesta interacts with the other two key members of the front office. And by the way, there are more people than that. They've got a huge analytics department, they've got huge football department, huge coaching staff. These things are a lot more complicated than just, well, the head coach did it, the GM did it, the whatever the hell Paul D. Podesta is it or the owner did it. But it does matter because I think a lot of people, Kevin, at some point they're going to give Kevin a contract extension this offseason. And the structure of that's going to be pretty telling, whether it's a two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year. And in the end, those don't really matter as much as the power that certain people have. And I think one of the things, one of the rebuttals of, well, it doesn't really matter who called this, is, well, if Kevin was unhappy, he could leave. And the reality is that that's true. But Kevin, I think Kevin finally has done enough that I do think if, if for whatever reason down the road, Kevin stops being a head coach in Cleveland, I think he'll get another job. I do. I really do. I think he... Two 11-win seasons in Cleveland, two playoff trips in Cleveland is like winning four titles in Boston. <laughs> like it's, 
<laughs> Great, you pulled the sword from the stone. Somebody did it. Somebody won twice in four years in Cleveland. So I think his resume is strong enough. But just because but that doesn't just because he might get another job doesn't mean that any coach is ever all that inclined to leave their spot. It's very rare that a coach leaves a situation without having another job on the line. So this idea of, well, if he's not happy, he'd just leave. That's not necessarily how the NFL works unless you're Bill Belichick, unless you are Andy Reid. He's under contract. He'll be the Browns head coach, and he doesn't have a lot of wiggle room in that matter. So if if Kevin didn't make this decision, and like there's a difference between Kevin making the decision and Kevin having – um, and and having the front office draw up a list of candidates. That's still Kevin's decision. And why it matters is you've got a quarterback. He's an offensive head coach. You've got a quarterback that has underperformed the last two years. And so this year, the rebuttal is, look what they did with Joe Flacco. But the Deshaun question has become as important as winning. The, the, and, and it's so weird. The nightmare scenario for Kevin Stefanski is you win nine games, are a one game out of the playoffs, so the eighth seed in the AFC, and Deshaun Watson looked like 75% of Deshaun Watson. You either need to win big next year with Deshaun, with Deshaun just playing a lot, and just actually, no, you just need to win next year big, or and or Deshaun has to play really, really well. I don't know that was as important going into this year but the pressure of the contract's only going to get stronger from here.